This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. First uh, reading, John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Philippians 1, 4-6 through In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Good morning. Um, obviously, I'm uh, I'm on the moving crew this morning. Not part of the God Squad, but part of the moving crew. <laughs> I am uh, Erica, and I am the pastor of um, discipleship and mission here at Community Covenant Church. And I'm glad to see everyone this morning. For those of you who are wondering, um, what happened to Pastor Todd? Um, he has not been voted off the island. Um, he's still here. Um, and, and actually, I would like to take this opportunity um, to, to share a little bit and, and for us to pray. Um, Pastor Todd and, and Lori are um, actually currently in Northern California with a friend, um, a f- family friends, who had a, a tragic loss. And um, I think for most of us who have been here for a while, um, who are not kind of native uh, to Alaska, you know, there comes that point in your life where something happens and all of a sudden you realize how absolutely stinking far away you are. You guys know what I'm talking about? That phone call that you get that normally if you were close, you'd hop in the car and it'd be a three-hour drive or maybe a 12-hour drive. You could drive 12 hours from here. You'd probably end up somewhere in Canada. I'm not really sure. But... um for Todd and Lori, I think they kind of had that first moment, um, that phone call that we all get that says, hey, we need you here. Please come. And I think it says a lot about their heart for their, um, for their church, for people that they were willing to go. So if you all could just join me in a quick prayer for them and for the family and their loss. Father, we thank you um, that you called uh, Todd and Lori to this place. Lord, and we thank you that they truly have um, shepherd hearts. And Lord, we thank you that they were willing to take the time to step away from here and go to comfort those that they have loved, those that they call family. And Father, I pray for the family and their loss. I pray that you would bring them comfort in the midst of this, Lord, that you would bring others to be with them 
in their time of, of need. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would surround them. We thank you, Lord, that we can call on you and that you hear us. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring Todd and Lori um, back to us safely. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, can anybody tell me what sermon series we're doing right now? Ten Markers of a Healthy Missional Church. Thank you. That was Nancy Lohman, who is pretty much in charge of putting this kind of stuff together. I want to draw your attention to a, uh, a marker <laughs> that's in your worship guide. And um, this is part of the vitality process that we are in as a church right now. And this marker is intended to be something that reminds you of what the ten healthy uh, the ten markers of a healthy missional church are. And then on the back side is a way that you can engage in prayer for that, because this is about where we're going and who we want to be as a congregation. And week by week, we're going through different markers and talking about what does it mean to be these different, to have these markers in our congregation. And this morning, um, we're going to be talking about the life-transforming walk with Jesus. But before we get into that, um, Pastor Todd wanted to, me to make sure to let those of you know who have not put your Bibles back together from last week, from his sermon last week, Crandall does have tape available in the back. Um, I believe both duct tape, which I wouldn't recommend for your pages, and scotch tape if you want to keep uh, the ability to read those. Um, he wanted to, Todd wanted to make sure that nobody thought they needed to keep just the, the bits and pieces of their Bible together. So, But... Um, as I was preparing for the sermon, um, one of the things that struck me about all of these markers is that all of these markers are about us. They're about us as a body. They're about us as a community. What defines us as a church? And... When we look at the missional marker of the life-transforming life walk with Jesus, one of the things that I think we have to be very careful about is that we can get caught in the idea that it's just about me. And it's just about my life and whether or not I'm having a life-transforming walk with Jesus. And although it starts there... What we want to be defined as, as a church in this community, in this state, where people can see a marked difference in our lives. And that marked difference begins with John 3.3. So I'm going to have that passage up here. And in this passage, this is a fairly long passage, Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee, a teacher, a scholar by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a learned man. He's, if you think about it, he was a seminary graduate as far as um, the, the Jews were concerned. 
He had it all figured out. But there was something about Jesus that struck him. And so he went to him at night. And if you think about it, why do you go sneaking to go see somebody at night, right? Probably because you don't want anybody to know what you're doing. That's typically when I go on my ice cream runs. (laughs) With a ball cap. (laughs) But Nicodemus is going because he wants to get, he wants to understand what is going on. What is makes this guy different? And so he gets into this dialogue with him. And Jesus says to him, Jesus replies to him, he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So here's the funny thing. <clears throat> this freaks Nicodemus out. Which I think is kind of funny because Nicodemus is obviously a male. Now, if he was telling a female this, I don't know any mother who would be like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Because this is something that we just can't seem to comprehend. And Nicodemus has the same struggle. And for us, now... 2,000 years later, it's not any different. There are a lot of things in our culture, in our society, that talk about there's all these different ways to God, that we all worship the same God, and there's all these different pathways to that. But if we are truly a congregation that leans into the centrality of the word of God, then the truth is there is only one way. And that way is through Christ. The birth that we experience as followers of Jesus is a new birth, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. The Spirit of God that is born within us, that is breathed, that breathes life into us, new life. It's not something that we come to through some other path. There is only one way. And for some people, that may be really difficult to swallow. But that is truth. And so I was looking, as I was looking at this um, passage and thinking about it and how would that affect us, and, and it kind of took me to this place where I was thinking about how it is that part of Nicodemus's problem, part of his struggle with this was not the whole, you know, being, not just the whole being born again thing, but was the whole concept of lineage, of him being saved because of who he was. He was a Jew. And the Jews were the chosen people, and therefore that meant that his salvation came through his lineage, as well as through his obedience and following the law. And I started to think about my husband. My husband is the son of a chaplain, 30 years Air Force chaplain. Every Sunday, dressed in his neat little white 
you know, shirt and, uh, you know, little tie sitting in the front row, right? The pastor's kid. Went through all the Sunday school, went through all of the classes, did all of this stuff, graduated from high school. I mean, just really good kid, good guy. But somewhere along the line, part of what he had to do was he had to make his faith his own. And for those of you young people that are sitting here today, you cannot ride on the faith of your fathers. You cannot ride on the faith of your parents. At some point, the challenge becomes to you, how are you going to follow? And how are you going to obey? Not based on what mom and dad have given you. Or not based on just because this is what mom and dad did, but that this is what I believe. That I have experienced new birth. And for parents and people who are in places of authority with kids, just like we prayed for people who do, who teach kids on the rock and who have influence with other students, our job is to give them truth. It's to set the path for them. It's to invite them into that life. It's to challenge them to follow. But in the end, the choice is theirs. Nicodemus had this idea in his head that what was saved him was who he was born to and how he, and how he followed law. And Jesus said, that's not enough. And so, when we think about the way that we do community, the way that who we are as a church, let's think about that. Are we known, are we acting as people who are simply doing something because this is something we've always done? Or have we experienced that new birth ourselves? The second passage, I'm going to ask you to put that up there. So, we have, uh, when a baby is born, that's not just it, right? Woohoo! New baby! That's awesome! You leave it there and you walk away, right? There's a, there's a new baby right here, right? Dad's holding the new baby. That, that doesn't work like that, right? Suddenly there's new life. And a lot of times what we do, what we like to think is that that moment, boom, that salvation prayer, that moment where that person is born into, is born into the kingdom. That's it. That's awesome. Woohoo. We write down on the little salvation card, right? We do all of this stuff. And then what? In second Corinthians, Paul says, Christ died for all that those who, sh- who live should no longer live for themselves, but for, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So now, from now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. After that moment, after that birth, that spiritual birth, the first breath that we take into the kingdom of God, that Holy Spirit moment. (gasps) Right? Not the Darth Vader kind. (laughs) Then there's a whole new life that we're called to live in. And Paul does a really good job. This is he he actually mentions the new creation several times. He mentions it in Ephesians and he mentions it again in Colossians. And I really think that in part he does this because he realizes that we struggle to get what it means to live new life. Because for most of us, there is this pattern ingrained in us. There is this, there is this old man, as um, Paul calls it, the one that is angry, the one that is slanderous, the one that gossips, the one that gets annoyed when somebody cuts you off in traffic and you try really hard not to do something. <laughs> Say something? Think something? (laughs) Right? That it is a process of Christ deconstructing and reconstructing who we are. And I was... I'm kind of an information junkie. I don't know about you guys. I spend a lot of time on Google. You know, oh, I'll Google that. Let me Google that. And then what happens, and this is just, this is a terrible how drives drives my friends and my family crazy. A big part of what I'll do is I'll find one thing, I'll read it, and then I'll be like, ooh, I want to know about that. And I'll go to something else. And then I'll look at that, and I'll read it for a little while, and then I'll go to something else, right? Does anybody do that besides me? We are an information-saturated society. If I want to know something, all i got to do is Google it, right? And if I'm really sophisticated, all I have to do is ask Siri. (laughs) And she'll tell me. But part of what happens in that deconstruction and reconstruction is that we actually have to take the knowledge that we acquire, the Bible studies that we do, the conversations that we have, the articles that we read, the books that we have, and we need to actually take them and let them change who we are. The process of deconstruction is actually where you take something apart in order to expose the inconsistencies in it. The way that things are not okay within the structure. Makes me think of uh, this house we bought. 
We bought this house and the how this house was built the year after the earthquake. Okay? So, old house. The original footprint of the house was probably somewhere around 800 square feet. By the time we acquired it seven years ago, the house was 2,800 square feet. Okay, now I don't know how many of you live in these old Alaskan houses where it's like somebody gets together and, gosh, I hope it's okay for me to say this in church, um, Offers their buddies a six pack of beer and some pizza and says, Hey, I want an, I want to add a living room. Right? I'll buy the two by fours. I'll buy the beer. You guys do the sheetrock. Right? And before you know it, you have an extra 2,000 square feet on your house and you have terrible inconsistencies in the structure. So when we bought this house, the inspector came in, the appraiser came in, they were like, oh yeah, there's some minor problems, but you don't want me to really get into that. We're like, okay, no, I guess not. Because we didn't know any better. But as the years went on, my husband said, you know, we should, we should, uh, we should do this. Let's, let's, let's redo the bathroom. Let's redo the bathroom downstairs. And we could do all of this stuff. I mean, these great dreams. I see some wives shaking their heads, you guys. And I'll never forget, we just bought the house. I'm not kidding you. We had just closed. And there was a fireplace in the house, right? Old fireplace that somebody probably thought was a great idea, right? And my husband said, hey, I'm going to take the girls over to the new house and take a hammer to the wall and see if there's a masonry fireplace. Because I have a feeling there's a masonry fireplace behind this wall. Wow. (laughs) I was at a meeting. I come back. I open the door. And I find... My nine-year-old and my seven-year-old with safety goggles on. Hammers, one had a hammer, one had a crowbar. Like a drywall everywhere. And the girls saying, Mom! Dad, let us take the whole wall down! That was the beginning of many adventures. But that deconstructing moment was the very beginning of a lot of exposure of the ways that inside the house were not okay. The studs were not equally aligned. There was crazy wiring. Jim Lohman knows he didn't, he lost lots of sleep over the wiring in that house. There was bad wiring. There was weird plumbing. There were things that we, when my husband would open the wall up, he'd go, I don't even know what that is. And part of what happens, part of the walk, the life-transforming walk with Jesus is that we are close enough to him to allow him to take the drywall off, to take the outside covers off, to expose the inconsistencies in our life 
that maybe we think are okay, that maybe we see as not that big a deal. Nobody really knows, so why should it be a problem? But every time we took a piece of wall down, we realized there was a problem. We had electricians and plumbers and heating specialists come in and say, I can't believe your house didn't blow up, your house didn't catch on fire, your house didn't fall down. And part of what our life transformation is, is allowing the Spirit of God into those places and having a willingness to allow him to expose the ways in which we've got some inconsistencies and we don't even know it. So let's move to the last passage in Philippians. And I'm actually going to start reading from verse 4. So, it says, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We moved out of that house. In some ways, we gave up on that house. Because there was just so much work to do. And there were so many things. And every time there was something, there was something new. And we got tired. And it got expensive. And we kept thinking, is this ever going to end? The Spirit never gives up on us. We give up on ourselves. And we give up on each other. But part of what Paul is saying here, and he's saying it to a church that's been pretty beat up, a church that's been really worn out, but has hung on to the calling of the spreading of the gospel. And his confidence is that the spirit that brought new life, the spirit that is renovating the the interior of these lives is not going to give up. And we think about those examples throughout the Bible. One of my favorites is King David. David, who is touted as a man after God's own heart, really messed up a lot over and over and over again. 
And every time he was able to go back to the Lord. Because he knew that was the only place he had to go. Because he knew that the only wholeness he was ever going to find, the only place he was ever going to find forgiveness, the only way his life was going to be recreated after deconstruction was by going back to God. As we move into a place of pursuing Christ and pursuing Christ's priorities in the world, we're going to have lots of times as individuals and as a church where we're just going to miss it. We're not going to do this all right. And if we expect that, we're mistaken already. There are going to be places where we're going to miss it. And we have to trust that the Spirit of God, who began a good work, is going to carry it to completion. He's not going to give up on us. Either as individuals or as a congregation. So this morning, I'd like to end by praying a prayer. And can you bring that slide up? I'd like for us to pray this together. This is out of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written by David after he had been caught in adultery with Bathsheba. But part of what I love about this passage is that it's this cry from this place of saying, I need for you to recreate something. I need for you to bring something up out of me. And then at the end, verse 13, you will see this. Part of what he says is, once you've done that, then I get to go out and teach people about you. To me, these verses encompass healthy, seeking Christ, and missional, seeking Christ's priorities in the world. Because in the end, our salvation, our transformation, our recreation isn't just about me or mine. It is about the expansion of the kingdom of God. And it is about those people out there that don't know and need to know and see and experience the love of Christ. So I'm going to ask you all to stand. And would you please read this with me as a prayer? Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Please pray with me. 
Father, our desire as your children is to follow you. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the ways in which you are knocking on our door and saying, will you let me in a little bit more? Maybe we're in the midst of a major renovation. Lord, I pray that we would know your presence and that in the midst of that process, Lord, that we would know that you don't give up, you don't quit, and you will complete it. Thank you, Lord, that you don't ever give up on us and that you are calling us as a church body to be a light in this community and in this world. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.